Last week, I had the opportunity to be in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy graduation. And I got to say, there is something very special about watching 900 cadets graduate and be commissioned as officers in the military. It was a week-long event of multiple things going on each day, but it really, I tell you, if you are ever looking for a dose of patriotism, go to one of these, uh, because there is an excitement in the air, there is honor that is being given left and right uh, with, their, with the way they're marching, with the way that they are giving honor in the ceremonies. Uh, there is a respect for one another. Uh, there is a pretty awesome fear when you see F-16s flying over you, the Thunderbirds, and they're doing all their crazy things. It is pretty awesome to be sitting there to hear the President of the United States speak to these men and women. There was something really cool about that experience. Uh, so there's squadrons, and each squadron has a commissioning ceremony. And in the commissioning ceremony that we were at, it was really neat to watch because this was the time that a cadet was commissioned as an officer in the military, where they took an oath of office. And that oath of office was really intended to be their promise, their commitment to their service, to this country. And the 06 officer that was there kind of encouraging them just kind of said these words. He said, this is a big day, though don't think that just because you're graduating from an academy, everyone's just going to respect you. It's not like everyone's going to roll the red carpet down for you. You're going to have to be in the trenches, and you're going to have to be a servant leader. Don't think it's always going to be easy. And it was just this reminder to stay focused on what you are committing to and remember why you are doing what you are doing. As a Christian, we can easily step back and to consider we too have been commissioned, though we have been commissioned by our Lord and Savior. And we have been commissioned to love God and to love people as Christians. To proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we are to stay focused on whom we have committed our lives to. We must not waver on forgetting why we serve the Lord, our Lord and Savior. And I bring this up because we have been studying Revelations as a church. So if you are new with us, uh, most likely when you come back, you will jump back into the book of Revelations. We have a while to go. But it has been awesome seeing God's plan unfold. But he also took unique time to talk about seven churches in the way that either they needed to they needed to hold on to Christ to build their faith because there's future persecution or they have lost their way. And he was pointing it out. 
And my heart for this morning, I believe the Lord's desire for you this morning is to be equipped. To be equipped while on earth, to be equipped. How, what to hold on to? What is your commitment? Remembering your why so that you and I don't fall into the similar things that the churches in Revelations did. We can easily remember Ephesus who loved Christ. And then they abandoned their first love. And following Christ became a duty instead of a heartfelt reaction. You can remember the church of Pergamum who was holding fast to the name of Christ, did not deny the name of Christ, but started tolerating sin and started being okay and compromising. Remember Sardis, who was spiritually alive. And then, just started going through the motions. Had a good outward appearance. But was really just spiritually dead inside. And then Ephes, or, uh, Loisidea, blessed with prosperity, and then found their dependence on prosperity and no longer God. Now they weren't cold for God, right? But they weren't hot. They were just kind of lukewarm. And God thought that was gross. Being a follower of Christ, I believe we can all relate to each of these churches at different times in our life. Where often we may not, we may not hold strong and we can find ourselves just kind of having an outward appearance sometimes of loving Jesus, but not really an inward love of Jesus. I think we can often find ourselves wondering, am I kind of leaning towards apathy right now? I'm not, I'm not cold. I'm definitely not hot. I'm kind of just on the fence. So I believe the Lord wants to encourage you to build your faith this morning with two verses. Two verses from the book of Romans to be able to get your hands around, for you to read yourself, for you to allow the Lord to teach you, to equip you on how to live a faithful life. And what does it look like? What must happen to not waver? What is your oath? What is your commitment? And there's going to be three points in these two verses that we're going to look at. We are going to look at the call of living wholeheartedly for the glory of God. We're going to look at the way that we are to be motivated to live for God is by the mercies of God and how we are to set our mind on the things above. Now, I believe I could preach four sermons out of these two verses, but I don't believe you want to hear me preach four sermons this morning out of these two verses. So, I will preach one sermon. 
but just know that you can dive in to the deep end in these verses and just experience the Lord and His goodness to you and His kindness to you as He seeks to equip you as a disciple of Jesus Christ of how to follow, how to not waver. Let's read Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Potentially a very well-known verse to you. If not, praise God, I pray it will be. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. <coughs> Romans 12, this moment in verse 1, that we that you're looking at now that we just read is a pivot verse now i not pivotal all, all scripture is pivotal right but this is a pivot verse meaning it is pivoting from all of chapter 1 through 11 has taken time to teach a robust theology and doctrine of god so in chapter 1 through 11 we have been we have been learning what it looks like to see Jesus and what Christ did for us. So chapter, chapter 12 being this pivot verse for us as we study God's Word, he is, he is going from theology to application, foundation to application, learning what is true about Christ and salvation to what we actually do with it. And the very first point that I want us to see in verse 1 is the call to live wholeheartedly for His glory. Read verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice is a strange phrase. Because sacrifice implies death. And he says you are a living sacrifice, so you are a living dead person. A little different. <clears throat> What's he meaning? I think there are two applicable meanings for you to see as he describes you as a Christian and the way that you live is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. One is that you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. 
In the Old Testament, when an animal was sacrificed, it was set apart. It was set apart unto the Lord. The giver gave the animal to the Lord, and it was no longer the giver's. And as a Christian, in that moment that we see our need for a Savior, we have given our life over to Christ. And that means it is now His. It is no longer mine. So a living sacrifice, you belong to the Lord but you are a living sacrifice. Meaning, you are actively and ongoingly dying to ungodliness in your life. Jesus reminds you of that when He says, whoever wants to follow Me, whoever wants to be My disciple, must deny themselves and pick up their cross. Look how John Piper describes this. He says, as a Christian, you are dying to anything in your life that does not make God look good to those around you. So if you wonder, what does it look like to die to myself? What does it look like to die to ungodliness in my life? We can kind of get you know, stuck in this hypothetical, I wonder what it looks like. Well, here's a great question for you to ask. Die to anything in your life that does not make God look good to those around you. Living sacrifice is a wholeheartedness, a wholehearted devotion to God. So as you read that, it is a wholehearted devotion to God. Notice that it's not just a mental devotion to God, though. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your arms, your legs, your mouth, your ears, all that you are, your body, is to display God to others. Meaning what you do, who you are, how you act, is to display God's glory. Then he says in verse 1, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Now, spiritual here simply means wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. Your wholehearted devotion to live a life in front of humans that glorifies God is a living sacrifice. That is what your commission is as a Christian. The way you treat your spouse is a, to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. The way you speak about others is to be presenting your mouth as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It's your wholehearted worship to Him in the way you speak. The way you use your time to serve others and to put their needs before yourself is how you're using your, your arms and your feet and your legs as a living sacrifice. It is your worship to the Lord in the way that you live. You see the picture, church. The picture is a faithful disciple is all in. You see that? It's all in. you got to be all in. It's not half-heartedness. It's not three-quarters-heartedness. It is whole-heartedness. That is what he is wanting us to see in verse 1. 
A Christian is to be wholeheartedly following and living for Jesus in such a way that He is displayed in the way we live. Now Paul, he takes time to appeal to you to present your body as a living sacrifice. We already remember how he rebuked Sardis for keeping a good outward appearance. We remember how he rebuked Laosidea for not being either hot for the Lord or cold for the Lord, just being kind of halfway, half-hearted. We know that he desires and he is worthy of our all in all. But how do we do that? I don't, I don't think anyone is going to stand up and say, actually, Sean, I think the Lord really is okay with half-heartedness. No, He's not. He's not okay with half-heartedness. I don't, if you're going to stand up and say that, then just don't. Okay? Just don't. So I, I believe that we all would say yes and amen to that. Yes and amen. But we also see ourselves. And I will be the first to say, I am not always wholehearted in the way that I live, in the way that I seek to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So how do we do it? How many of you have seen the movie Facing the Giants? That high school, yeah, it was the high school football team. Oh, more of you need to see this movie. Uh, the high school football team, and there was this, there was this one, there was this one spot in this movie that uh, one of the players knew what team they were going to play, and simply didn't think they could beat them. So Coach Taylor gets this linebacker, and he says, "Go to the end zone." He goes to the end zone, and he says, all right, you are going to do bear crawls, which is just hold, you know, on, on all fours, and you're going to carry a person on your back, and we're going to blindfold you. And this linebacker says, maybe I can get 30 yards. And the coach says, great. All I want you to do is give your best. So he gets blindfolded, he gets his player on his back, and he's on all fours, and he starts crawling. He starts doing the pear crawl. And the coach Taylor is right next to him. And he's saying, don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Give your best. Give your best. And as the players started getting a lot more tired, his voice started getting louder. He said, do not give up. Keep going. Keep going. Do not give up. Do your very best. Do your very, very best. Keep going. Keep going. I know it hurts. Do not stop. Do not stop. Do not stop. Keep going. Keep going. Then he falls. And if you remember the scene, he takes his blindfold off and he made it to the very end. I'm a sucker for a good sports movie. And just so you know, uh, that guy, woo, I tell you what, I love it. Though, let's be honest, I love that. I love the motivation. I love what he did. But that is temporary motivation. 
just keep going. Just don't quit. That, I'm not going to say that is bad advice, because guess what? Friends, church, we need people and friends around us at times to pick up our shoulders and say, keep going. Persevere. Perseverance is keep going. So we must keep going. We must not quit. So I'm not saying that that is bad motivation. We need that in our life. But that is not the motivation that Romans is giving. That is not the motivation that the Lord is giving you to follow and to be a living sacrifice. It's not just keep going. It's not just keep working at it. There's something so much more about the motivation to actually be this living sacrifice. To follow Jesus in a wholehearted way. There is something that motivates you, Christian. That's way more than just dig deep. And it is this. It's the mercies of God. The mercies of God. You, as a Christian, are motivated to continue to persevere because of the mercies of God. Let's look at verse 1. Paul does not move you from doctrine to application, in verse 1, look at it, by saying this, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't miss the therefore. For a while, I would open this and I'd go right to like the commands. And I did not take time to pause and to consider the sweet reality of the therefore. And so I want to encourage you this morning to highlight, to circle, to write that therefore. Make it noticeable as you read this verse. I appeal to you therefore. Therefore means what follows is built upon something. The next thing I'm about to say is rooted in something. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore. God's saying, everything I'm about to tell you here in the next four chapters, everything I'm about to tell you is rooted in what I taught in chapters 1 through 11. We must not skip over this therefore. Not only because whenever we read therefore, we always know, we always have to ask the question of what is it therefore? Though, Paul kind of makes it clear he's appealing. <laughs> I appeal to you. I urge you, therefore. I plea with you, therefore. I want you to be so motivated based upon what has already been taught rather than simply commanding you. Any parents know 
that as a parent, there comes a time when we have to go from just saying obey to influencing our kiddos. How many of your kids ever ask the question, why? Yes, every kiddo, right? Every kiddo, why? And how many times have you said, just because I said so? And I will be honest, that is actually a very good response in certain ages because they just need to learn to obey, right? They just need to learn to obey. Well, obey. I said so. That's why you do it. But that's not really how we should parent forever, right? Last night, one of our kiddos wanted to stay up late. You know, one of the young ones. Why do I have to go to bed? Because I said so. That's an okay answer. But at some point, when they say, why, why do I need to go to bed early on a Saturday night? Well, God intends to meet you at church tomorrow morning. And He also intends to use you to minister to others. So don't be tired. Therefore, go to bed. So, we know that we can be influenced with the therefore based upon truth. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. We're about to see a bunch of commands in chapter 12 and 13. But Paul is not wanting to just command you to be a living sacrifice. Or to command you to stay constant in prayer. Or to show hospitality. Or to submit to your governing authorities. Or to don't quarrel with each other. He's not wanting to command you to not judge. He's not wanting to simply command you to be zealous for the Lord. He's not saying all of these just because I say so. He is appealing to you. He is urging you. He wants you to be so impelled by something that you are propelled to be a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He is influencing you, church. He is motivating you to live wholeheartedly for Him because of the mercies of God. Church, this is a key to following Christ. If you put anything on social media that says, the secrets! The following Christ, everybody wants to watch. Or books sell the secret to following Christ. Well, it's no secret. It's literally said right here. It's to be motivated by the mercies of God. So what are the mercies of God that are intended to impel you to follow Him? Romans chapter 1 through 11. As a reminder of a few of these beautiful mercies that we are supposed to internalize so that it motivates us to follow Him. 
So you have to remember first your condition as a sinner. Remember Romans 3.10? No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You need to remember your condition. Even if you tried to do really good things, if it wasn't for the purpose of glorifying God, it was coming from a sinful heart. You're in a state of hopelessness. Nothing you could do. We then have to remember, as Paul brings this argument alive, we see that we are a sinner that is hopeless. We then see a very real wrath of God on that sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath was not just an uncontrolled anger. His, his wrath was His precise, controlled response to the belittling of His holiness. Then, we must remember how God give, gave the gift of grace. Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That is the mercy unto you. First and foremost, know your condition. Remember your condition. Remember it. And then see His mercy, and His mercy is great. God put forth Jesus, church, the Son of God, as a propitiation by His blood on that cross. He literally, Christ, satisfied the wrath of God that was towards you. He didn't just satisfy His general wrath. He satisfied the wrath that God had against you because of your condition, because of your sin. Mercy. Christ redeemed you, freed you from the bondage of sin. Everyone who sins is enslaved to sin. What John states, there is no hope. You are stuck in slavery toward your sin. But God gave His life as a ransom to pay the penalty of that sin to set you free from bondage. And that payment that He paid was the full wrath of God. 
on your behalf. Mercy. You are justified by His grace. You are no longer in Christ. In Christ, you are no longer guilty. God does not condemn you any longer because of the righteousness of Christ. He has taken your penalty. He has taken your wrath. And, he, and you have now been cloaked by the righteousness of Christ. You are justified. You are no longer condemned. Mercy. Church, you see why you must not pass over this therefore? It's the motivation of your life. The mercies of God is the motivations to follow Him wholeheartedly. That's what it is. We are impelled to live wholeheartedly for God as a living sacrifice because God treated you better than you deserve. Do you see how it's different between a coach Taylor? Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Or being motivated from the heart. So here, for all of you math people, here's an equation of life. Blank, therefore blank. Write that in your Bible every morning when you wake, when you wake up. Blank, therefore blank. What are you going to put in those blanks? As a Christian who is motivated based upon the mercies of God, we will say, guilt removed, wrath removed, sin forgiven, righteousness given. Therefore, I will contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Guilt removed, wrath removed, sin forgiven, righteousness given. I will therefore remain pure in my thoughts and in my actions today. Guilt removed, wrath removed, sins forgiven, righteousness given. Therefore, I will love and protect my wife. I will respect and help the leadership of my husband. Guilt removed, wrath removed, sins forgiven, righteousness given. Therefore, I will obey my parents and serve the family. The moment that our motivations get selfish, it just doesn't work well. <laughs> Godliness does not just flow out. If I wake up and I, and my, what's my, my therefore? Uh, I have so much I have to get done today. Therefore, I will show hospitality. Now that's usually, that usually drops off the plate. I'm not worthy to be loved. I can't stop sinning. Therefore, I will pursue purity. I wish my wife would change. Therefore, I will love and protect my wife today. Hmm. The right equation of life is needed. And it is based on the mercies of God. Therefore, I will. Based 
on the mercies of God, therefore I will. Once again, as we see God's word, we want to be motivated, but once again we have a problem. Our minds do not always naturally go to the mercies of God. So what do we do? Verse 2 tells us. Let's take a look together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So church, as our, our last point is how do we do this? How do we say motivated by the mercies of God is to set your mind on the things above? In order to live wholeheartedly for the Lord, you must not follow worldliness, but instead be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Transformed, same word, metamorphosis, how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Well, what's happening as a Christian? You are being transformed to the likeness of Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? By the renewal of your mind. How does he transform you? How can you be motivated based upon the mercies of the Lord? Transformation. Okay, friends, there's a, there's a reason why your mind has to be renewed, right? If it says renew your mind, he's saying there's a reason why it needs to be renewed. The reason is because we're just naturally selfish. When we wake up, our minds naturally go to ourself. They're not naturally going to thinking about what is true and what is honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. It doesn't go there right away. We need a renewal of our mind. So how do we do this? Colossians 3.2 Set your minds on things above, not on the earth. Immersing your mind if, if I could help you kind of have one handle, it's immersing your mind in the testimonies of God. How are you renewing your mind? What are you putting in your mind? You are immersing your mind in the testimonies of God by hearing the Word preached, by reading and studying God's Word, by contemplating and considering it through prayer. On, with Christian fellowship, as you see and observe God at work in other people's lives, you are then immersed into the things of God. That is discipleship. Feeding your mind with truth. And here's, it's, 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 a, it's a two-way thing. You allow the Word of God, you allow observing the acts of the Lord happening throughout Christian brothers and sisters. You're immersing yourself in His church. You're praying, you're considering, you're immersing things of godliness. You're thinking about things of godliness. And what happens is, as you intake that, the Holy Spirit within you, outwardly, makes you more like Christ. 
what you take in, you allow the Holy Spirit to make you into the likeness of Christ. So much I would love to say. But I believe the Lord simply wants you to see His Word this morning in such a way that you as a commissioned disciple of Christ are called to set your mind on the mercies of God daily. And then as you live, you will be transformed into the likeness of Christ, living wholeheartedly for Him. So do not walk out of here and say, wow, I guess i got to read the Bible more. Well, if that's what the Lord is calling you to, praise God. Good. Good. Read the Bible more. But what are you looking for? You're looking for the mercies of God. The mercies of God is what motivates you and propels you to live the life that God has called you to live. Worship team, if you could come on up. Let's just go before the Lord and ask Him to do this within us before we sing this last song. Lord Jesus, You have not given us a commission that we are unable to follow. You have given us the Holy Spirit in whom will empower us to be faithful. So would you, in your kindness, allow your mercies to be seen afresh every day. And may that motivate us as your disciples to live for you wholeheartedly. And may you use your body to encourage each other to stay immersed in your word so that our minds are renewed as we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Do this, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen.